So, but this morning, like I said, we're in this uh, book, a series of Acts as we've been going through this summer. We're actually getting near the end. We're not going to make it all the way through the book of Acts. So just a little heads up. We're getting near the end of our series here. And we're trying to understand the church as it expands to the known world and how they experience conflict and as they experience persecution, as they continue to be faithful to the call of God to be witnesses in not only Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but all the way to the ends of the earth. And as we find ourselves as apprentices to Jesus, as we, as we want to follow Christ with more of our life, we find ourselves talking about this thing of unity, uh, where the believers are in one accord. The passage that we read in, at the end of our services, Acts chapter 2, verse 42-47, speaks about this unity, that the, that the believers had everything in common, that they gathered together, that they believed together, that they encouraged one. There's this aspect of unity. There's this aspect of oneness that the community experienced. And so this morning we're going to talk about the uh, marker of unity or oneness in the body of Christ. And the importance of unity and oneness in the larger church, the capital C church as we have sometimes talked about it. And we're talking about this aspect of reconciliation. And how unity is something that believers in Jesus are to work towards because unity is something that is a marker of the Christian church. Reconciliation is something that is modeled after God's heart for us, that he reconciled us to himself, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to reconcile us to himself, and that we've been given this ministry, Paul says, of reconciliation, to teach and to proclaim to a watching culture and a watching world that reconciliation with God is possible through the work and the person of Jesus, that we are to invite people to life with God, that that reconciliation with God is possible. But not only that, but we are to reconcile ourselves with one another in this new community in the church in other words the one of the markers of a healthy growing vibrant church is one of unity one of oneness one where there's not this aspect of division we are to be known by love we're to be known by how we love one another in our mission statement we say we invite people to apprenticeship to jesus and apprenticeship to jesus is known when we are learning to live by faith learning to transmit hope and we are learning to be known by love. And is this part of our mission statement that we kind of understand or seek to understand a little bit more this morning as we talk about learning to be known by love in unity and going after reconciliation? That's one of the ways that we do this. Unity is something that Jesus commanded us to do. Reconciliation is something that he commands us to be about. Listen to what he says in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He says, I've given you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. And your love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for each other, for the church, will prove to a watching world that you are my disciples. This is the same kind of unity and reconciliation and oneness that Jesus prays for for the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane moments before he's arrested and then sent off for this mock trial that he's going to go and then the crucifixion. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, those immediate ones, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be all one. Just as, you and, just as you and I are one, you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Oneness, unity, 
a, 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 a kind of a collective aspect that we are together. Not divided, not split off, not kind of disunified, but unity and a love for one another is one of the markers of a healthy Christian community. And unity within the church among Christ followers is not just a big deal. It's something that Christ commands us to do because it's that kind of unity that will testify to a different way of living, to a watching culture. One where we're not in rival conflict with one another, but one where we see unity and we come to one another and we see the value in each other and we lift each other up and we care for each other and we're not split off by petty differences. So this morning as we look at this conflict actually that Paul and Barnabas have that Christy read for us just a moment ago, my hope is that we'll look at this conflict through the eyes of how do we seek unity and reconciliation? How does the Christian community go about unity and reconciliation even when arguments and conflicts and kind of battles can stir up, even in the church? How do we do that? So as we do that, let's pray together and then we'll open it up and see what we can learn. Jesus, we are humbled by your presence this morning, and I pray that we would learn from you, that we lay ourselves at your feet as our master, as our teacher, that you would lower our defenses and whatever we're bringing in with us this morning and and clear our minds and our hearts to be receptive to you and what you would have to teach us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, this passage that Christy read, there's a, a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. So sharp, in fact, that they split ways and they go in different directions. Barnabas goes one way and Paul goes a totally different way. And if you were here last week, we talked about Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey and as they kind of scattered around and, and they brought John Mark, who's later known just as Mark, and they brought him with them and he deserted them early on in their mission trip. Early on, they just kind of left left and that kind of leaving that kind of deserting hurt paul hurt his his feelings hurt his kind of confidence in mark wasn't sure that he could trust him he felt rejected by him and here we see in this passage the residual effect of that kind of damage because years later after mark had just left him years later paul and barnabas begin to discuss another missionary journey a couple years after mark had deserted them they begin to say hey let's go back Let's do this thing again. Let's go back to those churches. And Barnabas brings up John Mark and says, maybe we should bring him. And Paul is still hurt. He still has lack of confidence in him. Not sure that he can be trusted. Not sure if he can, if he can stomach what's going to go on on this missionary journey. And he says, no, I don't want to take him. And the scriptures say there's such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. There's such a, a sharp disagreement, such an argument that they split ways. Paul is concerned with the integrity of his mission. And he wants to have people that are committed. He wants to have people that, are, that know what's going to go on because this mission field isn't for the faint of heart. He knows the beatings. He knows the trials. He knows he's going to be thrown in prison. He knows all these various things. And he goes, I want someone who's going to be on my, my team. I don't want someone who's going to flake out on me. But Barnabas, he's interested in the development of people. He's interested in giving someone a second chance. He sees the potential in John Mark. He believes in him, and he says, I think we should give this guy another chance because ultimately this may be really good for him, and it may be good for us, good for the church. Ultimately, they just can't agree, and they part ways. Before I get into too much of the argument and what's going on in this encounter, I just want to tell you that I'm really glad that Luke includes this part of the Scriptures. 
I'm glad for a few reasons. I'm just going to mention one quickly one so we can get into the rest of stuff. It helps us to be reminded that both Paul and Barnabas, while we may think of them as superhuman, this willing, missionary willing to do anything and everything, it reminds us that he's human. It reminds us that he feels just as what you feel and what I feel. When someone has betrayed you and someone has rejected you and someone has kind of turned their back on you, it, it reminds us that Paul and Barnabas are human beings. That they feel those kinds of, these are real people. They're not somehow floating over the ground and unaffected by things. These are real people. People I can, I can relate with, with real emotions, real struggles, real kind of frustrations. I can relate to both Paul and to Barnabas here. And I'm really glad that Luke includes that because it really sheds light on these people as not just some kind of, uh, you know, mystic people who don't ever have conflicts. As if, you know, no one, no Christian ever has conflict with one another. Like, well, no, they do. Paul and Barnabas had conflict. Christians have conflict. Christians have arguments. It's not, it's not like, you know, just because I'm a follower of Jesus that I'm never going to have an argument with someone. These are real people. I'm really glad that Luke put this in here. But as often as the case, whenever you hear of someone's conflict, just like we hear about Paul and Barnabas' conflict, or you may hear of another conflict, the temptation is to really look at it and, be, and consider, okay, who's right and who's wrong? Who caused this breakup? Who caused the friction? Where does the fault lie? Right? That's the temptation. Some people look at Paul and they see his kind of definitive leadership and knowing all that they were going to go through and that he, he demonstrated good leadership. And that's good leadership to be choosy about who's going to be coming on your missionary journey and who's going to do that. And, and personally, I've seen firsthand that. I've seen very good leadership where you'll be picky and kind of a little choosy about who you're going to bring on your team. Because I've seen teams that are sent off not only on the mission field but other places that, that are kind of damaged by the wrong kind of person on that team. I've seen firsthand how a good team put together with good chemistry and good kind of commitment with one another can do great things. But when you have negative people on that team, it can drag the team down and it can kind of have a damaging effect on the team. I've seen that. So some people will say, well, Paul was right. Paul was right. Others will look at Barnabas and say, well, Barnabas had this encouraging nature to him. And they, they see that he, John Mark needed a second chance. And they'll understand later the bigger part of the story because they'll see that Mark eventually rises to the occasion and he becomes a pillar in the church. He actually was the guy that writes the Gospel of Mark. He's a huge part of the church. He's the same guy here and he rose to the occasion. He just needed another, another chance. And so they look at Barnabas and say, Barnabas was right. Paul was too short-sighted and he couldn't see the bigger picture. Barnabas was right. And I've seen personally... I've experienced personally a Barnabas in my life speaking into me and seeing potential in me. Because early on when I was younger and I was in ministry, my early, I was a youth pastor in the early, early days, there, was pe- there were people that saw potential in me. And when they invited me to leadership in the church, I made some horrendous mistakes, really dumb mistakes, dangerous mistakes at times. And rather than giving up on me, they chose to see potential in me. As a young 20, 21, 22-year-old punk kid, they saw potential in me. And they decided to speak life into me rather than have short-sighted vision. 
And I can tell you very honestly that there's no that I'm here with no small small part because a few people in my life saw potential in me and they spoke life into me and they didn't give up on me. So I know how a Barnabas can speak life into your ministry, into your life, and who you are. And so some people will look at Barnabas and say, Barnabas was right. Paul was too short-sighted. Barnabas was right. And I want to suggest to you this morning that both Paul and Barnabas are right. And both of them are a little wrong. Both are right. And both are a little wrong. Because Paul knew the rigorous road ahead of them. And choosing partners in ministry would be good for them to understand who was going to be in. And the mission field, as I said, was no kind of picnic. It wasn't like this easy thing that they were going to do. So Paul was right, and it was good to be a little choosy. And both Paul and Barnabas have good kind of standing. They could look at Scripture and look at Jesus' life and kind of have a little bit of things to back up because Jesus himself said it in Luke chapter 9 when he said, anyone who puts his hands to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, you got to be committed to follow after me. Jesus is saying, you got to be, and Paul's going, you got to be committed to be on my mission team. So Paul's right there. In this way, Paul's right. But Barnabas was emphasizing people, and he desired to encourage them to breathe life into them. And his desire to breathe life into them and give them a second chance was also equally good. And it was also equally right. Barnabas had done that earlier for Paul when Paul had converted from his, you know, uh, Pharisee ways to following after Jesus. He wasn't accepted by the other Jews in Jerusalem. And Barnabas was the one who came to Paul's defense. And Paul, in, in no short reason, is Paul because of Barnabas' encouragement for him. And countless times you can look at Jesus' life where he sees potential in someone that no one else sees. And he breathes life into them and he calls them and he gives them a second chance. Peter and others. So in this way, Barnabas is right, seeing potential in them. Both have aspects of right and of wrong. Both have aspects of doing the right things and kind of going off. And while it may be true that God used their separation because Barnabas was able to go one way and teach people and Paul was able to go a different way and teach people and the the kingdom of God expanded, I don't think that their inability to work things out here and their deal of kind of a heated disagreement, such a sharp argument. I don't think that that's how God intended them to split off. I think God intended them to live in unity and reconciliation. I think God didn't desire them to, to be in such sharp, contrasting argument that they couldn't work it out and somehow. So as we look at this, this disagreement in a little more detail, I want to just observe two quick things about conflict and about how we might navigate conflict in a way that is Christ-honoring and promotes unity rather than division. The first thing I want you to recognize is sometimes your greatest strength can be your greatest weakness. Sometimes your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness. Paul had this great strength of bold confidence, willing to go anywhere, willing to be used by God. Nothing was going to hold him back. Nothing was going to deter him from the mission that God has sent him on. But in his zeal and in his passion and in his desire to go, he was impatient with those that just needed a little more time. In his his passion and in his zeal to go and to go into the world and to proclaim the gospel, he he was not patient with those like Mark who just needed some more patience or more potential to be breathed in who weren't quite there yet and he was short-sighted his passion and zeal and his desire for the task caused him to overlook the people 
that were there. Sometimes meant that he overlooked them and passed over, even neglected people who just needed a little bit of patience. A little bit of patience. His strength and his zeal for the task and for what God had called him for was also his greatest weakness. At least in this point was his weakness. Barnabas, see his great strength was the ability to encourage and to see potential and to call out in people where no one else would see it. He was able to call it out and see it and champion them and and come alongside them and see them and nurture them and disciple them. But in his effort to be, you know, gracious towards people, sometimes he erred by not wanting to confront them when they needed it. We're told in the gospel or in the book of Galatians that he and Peter were caught up in this hypocrisy of withdrawing from the Gentiles and not willing to eat with them, even though they, they knew that they could. They didn't want to offend the other Judaizers. I always say that. There you go. They didn't want to offend people, and so they were willing. He, he didn't want to offend people, so he was willing to kind of, kind of let things go able to just kind of be a people pleaser at some level and i bet if you gave it yourself a little bit of thought if you think about your own life you could identify a little bit either with paul or with barnabas i bet if you think about it for a second because some of you guys are are some of us are passionate task-driven people like paul that are just all about the mission we're ready to go and that's but sometimes we can leave people behind and we can be short-sighted because sometimes our zeal for the ministry or our zeal and our passion for the task can sometimes mean that we let people go and we don't bring them along. We don't have patience for them because we have something to do. We've got a task to accomplish, after all. And we need people who are ready for the task. And others of you are like Barnabas. And you see potential in just about anybody. And you're advocating for them and you're coming alongside them and you're wanting to be patient and you're wanting to be kind and generous and gracious. But in your desire to encourage, sometimes you can be hesitant to speak truth to them when truth is needed. Because you don't want to offend them. You don't want to turn them off. You don't want to close the door. Friends, sometimes your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness. So what do you learn about conflict resolution and unity from this know yourself know yourself take enough initiative to take inventory of your heart and know am i a people kind of oriented encourager but maybe i hesitate on speaking truth or am i a task-driven passionate person but sometimes i can overlook someone that just needs some patient coming alongside them For those of you who are people-oriented, kind of encourager people by nature, and you you see potential in just about everybody and advocate for them, be careful. Be careful to not allow your desire to accept them and to be gracious toward them. Be careful not to allow that to slide into accommodating sin and not being willing to speak truth. But for those of you who are task-oriented, driven people, passionate people, be careful. Be careful not to allow your drive to accomplish and to do the task, not allow that to slide towards judgmentalism and short-sightedness because that could cause problems and conflict. Know yourself. Know your potential weak areas. 
That's the first observation. Second observation is conflict. Don't allow conflict in the, in the church or in the Christian community. Don't allow conflict to stop you from serving the Lord. Don't allow conflict to stop you from serving God and what he has called you to do. I know too many people, because of a sharp disagreement in the church, have just given up. They've just stopped serving. They've stopped caring. They've, they may attend still, but they just stop serving. They don't want to do anything with it. They just stop. And I want you to notice something in Paul and Barnabas' disagreement. The mission of God, the calling of God on their life, and caring and leading people in a lost world and sharing hope and giving the gospel to people and letting them know that that life and reconciliation with God is possible, it is greater than your opinion or of your kind of disagreement or any of that. The mission of God is greater than any of that. It is bigger than that. And Paul and Barnabas, both, they have a sharp disagreement, but they continue on their journey. They don't allow the sharp disagreement to stop them from serving God and serving what God has called them to do. Notice something. They go their separate ways. Yeah, they do. But they don't speak negatively about the other person's ministry. They don't speak negatively about their other, about Barnabas or about Paul. Because unity was a driving value for them. While they separated for sure, they still had this aspect that we're about the same mission. We're about the same goal. And as you read through the rest of the part of Acts, you don't read. Paul goes to a city and says, let me tell you how bad Barnabas is. You don't read Paul bad-mouthing the ministry of his partner. You don't hear Barnabas going to other places and kind of bad-mouthing Paul and saying, you don't see that, you don't read that anywhere. Because however conflict may arise and within the church, and sometimes people have sharp disagreements and we just have to kind of separate for a little while, but so often in the church where we separate and then we give in to the temptation and we're guilty of gossiping and bad-mouthing the people in the other ministry or in other churches for that matter. And we talk negatively about them. Friends, we're not rivals in the family of God. In the body of Christ, we go about unity. We're not about division. So we don't speak negatively and badmouth. We don't rejoice in other people's ministry suffering. And we don't quit on the church because there's a conflict. And some of us have had disagreements in this church, in our other churches, in our families. We've had disagreements. And perhaps it's even such a strong disagreement that we just kind of have part ways. And while that may be okay at times, we just simply don't badmouth. We continue to go after the, the ministry and we continue to serve. We don't quit. So can I encourage you this morning that while you may not be able to con- control conflict and it may come up because just we're people and we have passionate things and conflict may come up, but for the sake of unity in the body of Christ, you can control how you respond to the conflict. And you can choose to not speak negatively about another brother or sister in the church and in the family. We can choose to respond in a way that is unifying rather than causing more division. And so if there's a conversation that needs needs to be had between you and another brother or sister in this church, in your family, or in another church or someplace else within the body of Christ, if there's a conversation that needs to be had, I'd encourage you to walk towards that conversation for the sake of unity and oneness walk towards the conversation don't just shove it under the rug and assume it's not there and by all means please we don't badmouth one another we're not rivals we're on the same team 
We can come to, you may not come to a place where we can be, all, you know, serving and all that stuff together, but we can at least come to a spot where we want good for our brothers and sisters and not evil and not ill. Christ's people are reconciling people. And unity in the body of Christ is not only a big deal, it is something that Christ commands of us. And it is one of the ways, one of the markers that a watching culture will see a different way of living. Not one that is marked by arguments and division and just kind of bickering and bad-mouthing and gossip, but one that is unified and known for the love that we have for one another. And this is why what we see in the conflict of Paul and Barnabas, they have a sharp disagreement. And it causes them to go in different directions. But at some point, and we don't know exactly when, at some point, because they have a desire for unity, because they don't badmouth each other, because they don't kind of give in to the gossip ring and all that kind of stuff, at some point, they're able to reconcile. They're able to come back together. And Paul ultimately, to give you the bigger picture of it, Paul ultimately recognizes the growth in John Mark, and he calls him a fellow laborer, a teammate. In one of his last letters to his young mentee, Timothy, he asks to send Mark to him. Say, bring Mark to me because he's been a helpful person to me in ministry, and I like him. And he gives validity to Mark. There's reconciliation that happens. And reconciliation has happened because unity was a value for Mark, or for Paul and for Barnabas. And they didn't allow their conflict to derail the ministry. They kept after it. And they didn't allow their conflict to allow them to gossip and badmouth and to be negative towards one another. They reconciled with each other. Because Christ people are reconciling people. So how do you handle conflicts? How do you handle a disagreement when it comes up in the church? Because it will, right? It's just real life. How do you do that when the church in a healthy way well real quickly i'll close up with this you have to decide that unity is an important value that you drive for you handle conflict in the church by deciding that unity and reconciliation is an important vital aspect of your life together decide that unity is vital secondly you have to humbly be ready to admit when you're wrong at some point, Paul had to admit that John Mark really just needed a second chance. He had to admit that he was wrong, to be short-sighted, to just kind of go after. Barnabas, at some point, had to admit that he had, had enabled people to slide into uh, sinful behavior because he was unwilling to confront them. So you have to humbly be ready to admit and to recognize when your strength has actually become your weakness. A key step in working towards unity and reconciliation is humility. It's humility. And lastly, would you commit to pray for your brothers and sisters? Especially those with whom you have a conflict. Especially those with whom you have a conflict. Discipline yourself to pray for their well-being, not for their harm. For a brother or sister who's serving in a ministry that you used to serve in or that is a part of something you used to be a part of, pray that God would use them in mighty ways. Pray for God's goodness in their life, that lives of people around them would be impacted for the kingdom of God. Pray for good. Something really significant happens when you decide to just simply and, and discipline yourself to simply pray for their benefit rather than for their harm or to see bad things happen to them or, or to pray negatively over them. 
Decide to pray and discipline yourself to pray for those, especially those with whom you have a conflict. Not that they would see it your way, but that God would use them. God would multiply their ministry. And God would see that their good things are happening. It's good stuff because this is what Jesus exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Right? You heard it say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Jesus says. But I tell you, tell you to pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who you, with whom you were in conflict with. Where conflict and arguments arise, Jesus says, I, I'm instructing you to pray. Because something radically significant happens when you decide to discipline yourself to pray for their benefit rather than their conflict. Gene and I were at a marriage retreat some years ago. And one of the sessions in this marriage retreat, our pastor said, I want you to talk about your latest fight that you had, your latest conflict. And everybody in the room kind of like, oh, geez, here we go. Like, like out loud in front of everybody, we're going to hear that stuff out. And he said, but here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a four, half hour to 45 minutes or something of silence and solitude. I want you to go out and I want you to do two things. He says, I want you to think, well, as you're thinking about this conflict, I want you to do two things. He says, I want you to think about what's your role in this conflict. What's your stuff? Know yourself. Know your junk. Know that. And he says, secondly, I want you to pray for God's blessing in your spouse. And then after about 30 or 45 minutes, come back together and talk about the conflict. And so we all did that, and we come back together, and Mike got us together and said, you know, how did it go? Tell me how to, you know, and then he said, I don't want to know your conflict. We'll make an appointment about that, and we'll do that later. But he says, tell me about how that went. And to a person in this marriage retreat, we all said, well, the conflict was there, but all of a sudden when I knew myself, and I knew my stuff, my junk, and then I prayed for the benefit of my spouse, the person with whom I had this conflict, all of a sudden it changed changed we didn't come to the argument with guns blazing we didn't come to the argument to win we came to the argument for unity for unity and for reconciliation it changes the game when you know yourself and how your strength can become your weakness and when you discipline yourself to pray for the person with whom you have a conflict my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that when when conflict arises when conflict comes within the church, within your families, within the larger church, that we would be people who walk towards unity rather than division. And for the sake of unity, we would be humble enough to recognize how our strength can become a weakness and own our side of the argument, own our side of the conflict, and walk towards reconciliation for his name and for his glory. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you again for today. I thank you for the way in which Luke uh, brought this argument to the scriptures. And Father, I pray that as we walk through our life and a conflict comes up and as arguments come up, that we would do it in a way that honors you. And that our unity and our love for one another would testify to a world of a different way of life. A life of unity and oneness rather than division and self-protection. It's in your name we pray. Amen.